old song I know you remember says, Go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord. While shepherds kept their watching over silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. Christmas morn. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Go, Go tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ is born, that Jesus Christ is born. Mm. Well, I tell you what, I want the kids to, to do one. Let me take a minute and introduce everybody. And brother, like I always say, the fact that I got such a pretty wife shows that there's hope for everybody. I knew you was going to say amen. Somebody down there was going to say amen. The rest of you was thinking that. I know. Somebody asked me the other day if she worshipped me, and I said, Brother, she brings me three burnt offerings a day, and if that's not worship, I don't know what is. So <laughs> kind of like a fellow I heard about the other day. This guy was having marital problems, and his friend came to him. He said, Listen, let me and my wife take you and your wife out to eat. He said, You do just what I do, and it'll patch your marriage up. So the other were sitting in the restaurant, and one fellow looked over his wife, and he said, Would you pass the honey? Honey? And the other fellow thought, Well, I like that. That's pretty good. A few minutes later, he said, Would you pass the sugar? Sugar? Another fellow thought, well, man, I like that. I'm going to try that with my wife and see if I can't patch my marriage up. So after a little while, he got up nerve, reached over and grabbed his wife by the hand and looked real sincerely into her eyes. And he said, would you pass the tea bag? Now, needless, <laughs> now, needless to say, he's still having a few problems, amen. But I tell you what, Devin, doing a good job singing and playing. If you would, give her a hand tonight. And then Troy, he's our oldest one. He's 15 now, and... And uh, I take all the kids on some of these trips to Mexico. Matter of fact, we were in Mexico last week. And, and of course, I had to beat the senior readers off of him down there, too. And he told me to tell all these young ladies he was taking applications for a new girlfriend, if y'all was interested to see him after the services. <laughs> He's doing a good job. Give Troy a hand. And then Rachel, she's a pretty one of the bunch. She plays bass guitar and a little acoustic guitar and a little piano every now and then. We call her Leather Lungs. Give Rachel a hand. <laughs> Well, and then Brent, we're not sure what he does. <laughs> he's got a good grin on him, amen. He beats and shakes. He's a mover and a shaker, amen. He's, you discovered he's got a shake that none of the rest of us have. And uh, he plays a little bass guitar. To give Brent a hand, he's doing a good job. 
And then Ethan's back in the nursery, I suppose, back there. Now, she was carrying Ethan last time we were here. And, uh, you know, all of our kids have, have started out musically because they get to hear Mama play that bass guitar out there on the end of her belly and all that kind of stuff. And so they get an early start on things, amen? And uh, if you haven't met him yet, you've missed the best part of the Warren family. This is a song kids started doing some time ago. And I always have trouble saying the title of this song because it says, I'm nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Well, that's a good sermon outline, ain't it? I'm nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. I like that. Anyhow, we'll let them do this. Somebody got a hold of me one day, picked me up and changed my way, sanctified and filled me through and through. He washed away all my sin and strife, then he gave me a brand new life. Now I'm telling everybody about what my Lord can do. That's my future quartet coming on there. I tell you, I, you know, one thing I've learned over the years, if you'll not only just teach your kids about the right kind of music, but keep them involved, you don't have to worry about that other stuff a whole lot. Amen? So I believe in involvement in the right kind of music. I, there's a, a particular artist, if I told you who he was, you know who he was, but I heard he was selling a T-shirt the other day. It said, on the front, it said WWJLT on the front. You turn around on the back, which said, what would Jesus listen to? Then you turn around on the back, it said Southern Gospel, of course. Amen? <laughs> so I kind of believe that myself. But, uh, but anyhow, this is, y'all seem to like uh, some of that acapella stuff we did this morning, so I thought we'd do another old song. Song says, How Great Thou Art. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds I hands hath made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. 
That's what we call backyard singing or front porch singing or something like that. We kind of like doing something a little different every now and then. But anyhow, like I said this morning, I, I come from a family that plays all these guitars and mandolins and fiddles and stuff like that. So naturally, I'm just a little bit partial to this kind of stuff. Of course, I believe that the angels are going to play banjos. Well, that's certainly spiritual. Some concepts I've heard out there. <laughs> now, if you're a little bit too dignified for all this stuff, well, you know, this banjos and, and fiddles and stuff, well, well, first of all, we'll just pray that you get saved and get that taken care of. But, but if you're, <laughs> lighten up. <laughs> if you're a little too dignified for all this kind of stuff, just hang on and we'll move something else after a little while. And, and I told somebody the other day, a lot of Christians are going to be real surprised when we get to heaven and we get to the pearly gates and St. Peter pulls up in a pickup truck and he says, y'all get in the back. God wants you up in the big house. Amen. <laughs> Somebody said, was that a Ford or a Chevy? I don't know. But anyhow, this is, a, this is an old mission song. Now, I like mission songs, amen? You know, I teach and preach that I believe it's impossible to be right with God and not be missions-minded. Amen? I believe that. I believe it's impossible to really be right with God and not be soul-conscious. I mean, we've got to be concerned about lost souls down and going to hell. Say amen. Shake your head him down every now and then. Old song out of the hymnal says, Send the Light.
nothing knows some of you mean you know stomp your foot so hard by now your socks are rolled down around your ankles amen <laughs> that's okay too man i mean i believe we can have fun in the lord amen you know now, now i grew up my brother and i we grew up in the home of an evangelist and you know it didn't take us very many years preachers to discover that if we was ever going to have fun it was going to be in church I mean, that's just where we was at all the time, you know. And I'm a firm believer God's people are the only people in the world that have a reason or right to be happy. I believe that. I was talking to a preacher's wife today, and she said she never knew tr what true happiness was until she married him. Of course, then it was too late, you see. But listen, only God's people. <laughs> Some of them like that when I pick on you, amen. I like picking on preachers, amen. But anyhow, this is a song that Troy came along and started helping me out with not long ago. And the song says, Glory to His Name. And I, I wait, you know. Get him geared up. Glory to his name. I guess you well, you want to keep going all right brother good deal good deal I uh, I want Debney to come and to do a song right here this is a song that uh, makes me think of a meeting I was preaching down in South Georgia this last year and, and and we had the privilege of going aboard a nuclear submarine while we were down there now I, of course I can't tell you what all I saw and you got to understand normally just generals and the president and senators people like that are ever allowed aboard a nuclear submarine and I'm here to tell you, friend, it would, it would absolutely blow your mind if you knew what was aboard a nuclear submarine. But I'm here to tell you, friend, that all that power is not a drop in the bucket compared to the power of a prayer. I believe that prayer is the strongest power on the face of this earth. And I believe that. Amen. I told somebody the other day, I'd never be a member of a church that didn't believe in the power of prayer. That's how strongly I feel about it. Aren't you glad you go to that kind of a church? Amen. The song says, The Old Weapons. This world is wicked, trouble on every hand. My burdens get so heavy that I cry, Lord, help me stand. 
weapons are active, aren't they? Amen. I like it. I want to take a minute and say something about our tapes and so forth. I know a lot of you wonder where in the world did these people come from? And to kind of give you a brief background on myself, I traveled with my folks who were in evangelism, singing and preaching. Uh, they did that for 15 years full time. And my dad retired out of evangelism 15 years ago and started the church there in Fort Valley, Georgia. And Devin and I are members of my dad's church and very proud of the work the Lord's blessed him with. But anyhow, I traveled with them for the first 13 years. And then I left and went to Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. 
And there I traveled representing the college, recruiting students and stuff like that for nearly three years. And met Devney while we were there. Now, she's from Texas. I told somebody the other day, God would forgive her for being from Texas. Amen. I said, you know, the two best things that comes out of Texas is my wife and Bluebell ice cream. Not always in that order either. just depends on which one of them I can get a hold of. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> but anyhow, we met and got married. We left there 16 years ago. So this year is my 31st year of doing this full time in one capacity or the other. And I tell you what, God's been good to us. But anyhow, uh, we've uh, most of the old tapes that we've done have been gone for some time, the ones we did back when it was just Debbie and I. But we do have one of the older ones still hanging around. Uh, a lot of songs like Saints will be singing, Power and Prayer Camp Meeting, Only God Knows the Abortion Song. And then we did the tape of the old songs and I like a lot of the new songs, but I have a weakness for those old songs, too. I sure do. Uh, this is the old Stamps Baxter type songs, like I'll Be Satisfied, Farther Along, I'm Looking for a City, and I Battle My Knees and Cried Holy, When God Dips His Love. The old-timey songs are on there. And then we did an instrumental project sometime back, and uh, this is not all of our equipment. We normally have a keyboard, and I play pedal steel guitar and dobro and things like that. How many know what a dobro is? Raise your hand up. There's some country folk here, amen. And anyhow, if you like the picking music, and I brought Mom and Dad in on this. They play the mandolin and guitar, and brought my brother in on this. He plays the fiddle and the piano and all that. But again, if you like this instrumental picking music, you'll like that. And then our newest singing tape. Uh, is, uh, has a lot of the songs you've heard us do today. The song y'all did a while ago, He'd Still Been God, is on there. How Great Thou Art, Level Roll the Clouds Away, Run If You Want To, All I Know, The Old Weapons, one we just did is on there. A lot of others we're proud of. And then there's some other stuff out there. There's uh, some Christian ties and patriotic ties and stuff like that. I kind of like that stuff. Amen, I do. This is probably my favorite T-shirt in the whole world right here. It says, When God Made Me, He Was Just Showing Off. We now have that in the adult sizes for you adults. And <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> but anyhow, then I like this one. This talks about fishing. It says, I'm hooked on Jesus. Brother, I'm around these preachers all the time that do that golf stuff. I don't golf. I fish and hunt, you know. I always thought golf was for people that didn't know how to fish. <laughs> we call that cow pasture pool where I come from. <laughs> but anyhow. I, I kind of like that stuff, amen. But anyhow, I want the kids to come and do a song here that they, uh, song says, I feel like traveling on. That's what we're going to do. And I'll tell you what, no, look, I, let's change that. Let's do another one. This is a, a brand new one they just started doing. It's a, it's a Christmas song, and, and, and it says, go and see what's happening in the barn, amen. I kind of like it. I, now, some of y'all didn't know I was that country, did you? You know, my wife, brother, she uses me as an example to our kids how not to talk. We homeschooled our kids. We were sitting in the bus the other day. She said, now, kids, your dads would say, now, look at them shoes over there. And I felt offended about that. I said, I would not say that. I'd say, look at them there shoes over there. <laughs> Go and see what's happening in the barn. Bye. 
time gets away from us, I'm going to pick a little bit more, and, and uh, y'all seem to like Brent doing all that shaking business this morning, so we're going to let him shake some more, amen, and like I said a while ago, he's got a shake that none of the rest of us have, and come to think of it, I don't think we want it either, <laughs> but, uh, but this song is a little bit faster, you know one thing I've learned about uh, banjo pickers, brother, it doesn't matter how fast you play, somebody wants you to play just a little bit faster, they like to see you sweat just a little bit, now, why that is, I'm not sure. And, uh, and this song is longer, longer and it's faster, and Brent tries to keep up with us. Now, Mama's been afraid lately he's going to bust a blood vessel or something, you know, or something like that. But anyhow, he, he hangs with me, and he's a, Brent, Brent's starting to get his own fan club everywhere he goes now, so uh, he's doing all right. But anyhow, uh, turn me on over there, Rachel. The song says, Goodbye, world, goodbye. <laughs>
him on too much, I'm telling you. I've got to live with him going home. We want to do one more and say thank you. I, I appreciate you having us today, brother. I tell you, it's, we always love coming and being with y'all. Y'all are such a, a lot of fun to be around. I like being around people that act like they enjoy what they got. Amen. I'm around so many of these dead Baptists, brother. I, you are too, brother. You know what I'm talking about. I like being around people that enjoy their salvation. Amen. I really do. But anyhow, this is a song that was written by some good friends of ours. And the song did real well for him. It made it to the charts and was popular and all that kind of business. But it talks about heaven. I like songs that talks about heaven. Amen. And I'm so glad that this ain't it. <laughs> I mean, this, this is just a... Now, if you trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you get a little taste of heaven down here every once in a while. But this is not a drop in the bucket compared to what we've got over there. Amen. The song says, Just Beyond the River Jordan.
you enjoy that tonight, once again, show your appreciation to the Warren family. Great. <laughs> I tell you, we're going to keep Brent up here to play with the choir. Amen? All these blonde-headed kids, that's a blessing. I, I've enjoyed being with them today and fellowshipping with them, and what a blessing to us tonight. Take your Bible and turn to the book of John chapter 19. The book of John 19. As you know, we've been looking at the seven sayings of our Lord on the cross. Now tonight, I'm going to look at two of them together. And there's a reason that I am combining these two together because one leads into the other. One was spoken in order that the other might be spoken in the manner that it was. That was behind it, but there was much more involved in it. Let's stand as we honor the, the reading of his word. I want us to think tonight on his words, I thirst and it is finished. I thirst and it is finished. And then we'll look at the seventh one uh, next Sunday night. John 19, look at verse 28, 29, and 30. John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. We'll see in the other records, when you put all the gospel records together, there was one final thing that he said. But verse 28, he said, I thirst. Verse 30, he said, It is finished. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray. And tonight, let's look at this filth and sixth Word of our Lord from the cross, and I want you to consider with me tonight something that I think is a wonderful truth in the Bible. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you, Lord, for Calvary and all that it means to us tonight. We thank you, Lord, for what you said on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for the things we have learned over the past four weeks and what you said, and what you meant, and what you said. Now, Father, I come tonight that you might speak to us in this hour. Father, as we look at these two tremendous statements by you in the closing seconds of your life, I pray, Lord, that you'd lift them from the pages of your written word and make them living words to our heart tonight. Father, open the heart of every believer. May we hear, may we see Calvary, may we be brought to the foot of the cross, and may we comprehend these final seconds of our Lord's life. So I pray now you'll touch us, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Use me now for these moments, for it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I have said over the past several Sunday nights, we have recorded for us in the Bible seven things that Jesus said. It is possible that he may have said other things, but we only have seven things that are recorded in the Bible. The Bible, the book of John, talks about all the things the Lord did and said, and they could not be contained in a library, the libraries of the world. So it's very possible that he could have said other things. 
But we only have recorded in the Bible these seven things. And we have these seven things recorded in the Bible because these are the things the Lord wanted us to know and help us to understand a little bit about the cross. Four things we've already considered. The first cry of our Lord from the cross was actually a prayer. And it was the prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second thing that we have recorded in the Bible that Jesus said was the words to the thief, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The third words that we have recorded of our, Lord's were, of our Lord were spoken to his mother and to the disciple John. Woman, behold thy son, and to the disciple, behold thy mother. And then the fourth recorded words of our Lord on the cross, which we looked at last Sunday night, was the words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Tonight we're going to look at the fifth and the sixth words of our Lord on the cross. And again, I have chosen to look at them together. For as I said a moment ago, one of them was uttered in order that the other might be uttered in the manner that it was. Much more was involved in that, but that was one of the reasons it was uttered. So you put the two together. The fifth word that Jesus uttered on the cross was, I thirst. And the sixth word that he uttered on the cross is the words, it is finished. Let's look at them. I'll give you a point for each one and then a few thoughts from that point. Jot these things down. Look at the first one in verse 28. And I want you to notice what I want to call tonight a word of verification. A word of verification. Verse 28 again, the Bible said, After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now, what do we see in those two words? John, two things I want you to notice. First of all, notice what Jesus felt. Notice what Jesus felt. Jesus said, I thirst. Now, you think about everything he said thus far. And the last statement that he made was, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Now, you think about everything Jesus said. And when you think about it, not one time up to this point has Jesus said anything about what he is going through. At this point, up to this point, Jesus has not said anything about the physical side of the cross. He does talk about being separated from God, but that's the divine side. But as far as his physical sufferings, and as far as what he has been going through physically, this is the first time that Jesus even addresses that matter. And only then does he do so after he is well aware that he has accomplished what he had been sent to do and what he was wanting to do on the cross. But in those words, I thirst, he allows us, into the, allows us a faint glimpse in the realness of his sufferings. You see, Jesus felt what any man would feel if he was being crucified. I want you to understand something tonight. He was God. He was man. But when you look at him on the cross, it is more than a display of human suffering. It was not so much that you see all of these things on the outward, but because he is God on the inward, he is numb to the reality of crucifixion. Now, I want you to understand, Jesus was dying as man. He felt everything that was happening to him. His sufferings were real, and his sufferings were just as real as if any one of us were being crucified. The words, I thirst, allow us to realize and to see just a little bit of the suffering that our Lord was going through. I am told that in the case of crucifixion, that the greatest torture was thirst. 
Uh, you would think the driving of the nails into a person's hands or the extension of the limbs as they're suspended on the cross might be the most agonizing thing. But according to history, the most agonizing thing about the cross and the greatest torture of the cross was the, what, the thirst that the individual had. You think about our Lord's case. It probably been 18 hours since our Lord had had one drop of water or one drop of anything to drink. You go back to the Last Supper. That was the, probably the last time that our Lord drunk anything. And you think about everything that has occurred since the night that he took his last meal. There is the Garden of Gethsemane. There the pressure was upon him so great that his sweat became his great drops of blood. And you can imagine the agony that he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane and what he endured even in the garden. And then follow that with the scourging. Follow that with the physical beatings that he went through. And then follow that with the hours that he's hanging on the cross. You can only begin to imagine how thirsty our Lord was. The psalmist even hinted of his thirst. He said in Psalm twenty-two, fifteen, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Psalm 22 helps us to see a little bit about the thirst. He talked about his strength being dried up like a potsherd. He is describing the dehydration that incessantly toiled away the remaining seconds of our Lord's life. He talks about his tongue cleaving to his jaws. That is descriptive of the swollen tongue of someone being crucified, the thirst, the parched lips, and the swollen tongue. Jesus said, my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. He said, thou hast brought me into the dust of death, the dust of death. He's talking about the agonizing thirst that he felt in those waning seconds of life. The word thirst itself that is used there is a medical word. And it was a medical word used in connection with a high fever. You add all of the things that Jesus has gone through, and the mounting fever makes his thirst unbearable. And when Jesus cries, I thirst, we see a little bit of what Jesus felt. We see something into his suffering and the agonizing death that he experienced. When I think about what Jesus suffered, I say tonight, how can we not love him? Amen? How can we not appreciate him and the love that he showed to us? But you see what Jesus felt. But much more you see, second of all, what he fulfilled. You not only see what he felt, he said, I thirst. Give us a little insight into the agony of his dying. But you see what he fulfilled. For notice again, verse 28 carefully. The Bible said that after this, now before Jesus died, he fulfilled every scripture uh, pertaining to his part in God's redemptive purpose. Now I think about Jesus fulfilling scriptures, the book of John, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, and it was fulfilled. And the gospels completely talk, uh, many times talk about the scripture being fulfilled. The Lord's life was one of fulfilling scripture. He began his public ministry with the fulfillment of scripture. You remember in Luke chapter 4? He goes into a synagogue on a Sabbath day in Nazareth where he was born, and he opens the book of Isaiah. And the Bible said that he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he declared this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Jesus said, I am the fulfillment of what Isaiah had to say. At the very beginning of his public ministry, he begins to fulfill Scripture. And you'll find that the conclusion of his ministry, he is fulfilling Scripture. Luke 24, 44 said, that Jesus said just before he ascended to heaven, these are the works which I spake unto you while I was with you, that all this might be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. From the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, he is fulfilling Scripture. And when you come to this filth cry, Jesus said, I thirst. You find him fulfilling Scripture. Now, when you look at all the Old Testament prophecies concerning the death of our Lord, and there were many, you'll find that every one of them had been fulfilled exactly as they had been given. Now, one example, and you can look at this later, but Psalm 22, and you might ought to go home tonight and just read that psalm and see how it predicts and prophesies the agonizing death of our Lord. And you find when you look at Calvary and all the things we've looked at that all of them were fulfilled exactly as the Bible said. Psalm 22 talked about the soldiers gambling for his clothes. You find that at Calvary. It talks about the passers-by mocking him. And you find that fulfilled at Calvary. And you find that it prophesies of the mob gathered around the cross jeering him. And you find that fulfilled at Calvary. It describes how they pierced his hands and feet. And it goes on and on and on and on. And you find all of these fulfilled at Calvary. But when you look at all the prophecies that our Lord, that the Bible gave concerning our Lord and his death, you find that every one of them up to this point have been fulfilled but one. And it was a prophecy given in Psalm 69, 21, where the psalmist said, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. That's the one prophecy that has not been fulfilled to this moment. And so verse 29 said that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus said, I thirst. And when Jesus made that statement, he not only let us see how he felt, but at that point, Jesus fulfilled every Scripture that had to do with his dying. And in the fulfillment of that Scripture, Jesus was verified and proven to be the Messiah and proven to be the Son of God and proven to be everything that he claimed to be. You might say in the words, I thirst, he removed the last doubt to his real identity. That's why I call it a word of verification. It verified that he's the Son of God. It verified that he was a sacrifice for sin. It verified that he was the Savior of the world. It was a word of verification. But notice the second word. Are you with me now? Follow me. You not only see a word of verification, I thirst, revealing what he felt, but also what he fulfilled. But you have second of all what I want to call a word of victory. Now notice verse 29 for a moment. Jesus said, in order that the Scripture might be fulfilled, in verse 28, 28 I thirst. Verse 29 describes the response. 
Now, there was set a vessel full of vinegar. You might write down beside the word vinegar there, sour wine. It's a type of wine that the soldiers drank. Not vinegar like we know of, but a sour wine that was used by the Roman soldiers. There at the foot of the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. And there was a vessel full of sour wine, vinegar. And they, no doubt the Roman soldiers, filled a sponge with vinegar, the sour wine, and put it upon hyssop. That is, they put this hyssop on the end of a sword, and they lifted up to his mouth. Verse 30 said that he received the vinegar. Now you think back as you look at the chronicle of our Lord's dying on the cross, there was a time that he was offered wine to drink. And there the word describes a drug or a drug, a wine that drugs, a uh, drugged wine. At one point, a woman offered him this drugged wine in order to dull the pain that he was feeling on the cross, and he refused that. Jesus didn't want anything to dull the pain that he was going through. He had come to die, so he refused that. But now, he accepts this sour wine. Why does he accept that sour wine? This is my opinion. I believe it leads into verse 30. Because as he's already described his parched tongue, it's already described the dust of death. It's already described, the word has his parched lips and the thirst that he has. But he wants one sip of this vinegar or one sip of something to drink so that the next words he says are unhindered by his parched tongue and unhindered by his thirst. He wants everybody to hear what he's about to say. Therefore, he takes the vinegar. And now he cries out, it is finish. I want you to underline that statement. Listen, there is more that's been written on them three, them three words. It is written or it is finished. There are actually one word, and we'll look at it in a moment. But there's been more written about this sixth word from the cross than all the others put together. In those days, the Greeks boasted their power to say much and little. They boasted their ability to put an ocean of meaning in a drop of language. And if ever there was a word in which they did that, it is this word that we find here in John, 20, uh, John 19, 30. In my opinion, of everything Jesus said, and of all that he said during his life, and of all the things he said on the cross, this was the greatest thing Jesus said. It was one word. And I'm going to put that word on the screen, and I want you to jot it down. I want you to get it in your mind. I want you to put this one word, write it down somewhere. It was the word tetelestai. That is the Greek word that he used. That word, it is finished, is one word, tetelestai. Now write that down. And I want you to remember, remember that, tetelestai. Now let's look at that word. The final or the sixth word that Jesus said on the cross, he takes the vinegar so that he might cry tetelestai. What is he talking about? I want us to look at this word two ways. First of all, I want us to approach this word grammatically. I want us to approach the word grammatically. Now, I don't want to get real technical tonight because I know when you get real technical that you get bored. But I want to just kind of look at the word grammatically tonight, and I believe it will help you to understand a little bit about what Jesus is saying. So will you be a classroom with me for just a moment? Are you with me now? Are you with me now? Say Amen. I want you to look at the word, and let me just break the word down. In the Greek, the verb form that Jesus used here is what is called, I'm going to explain all this, 
The third person singular perfect indicative passive. Now that is all found in that one word that Jesus used. Now let me explain what I just said to you. You'll notice in that statement, it is finished, that there is no stated subject of the verb. The subject is implied by the indefinite pronoun, it. It is finished. So it really doesn't say, this is what is being finished. So it has that indefinite pronoun there. But since it's in the third person, we know that Jesus is not speaking of himself. Now, I want you to understand something. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was not saying, I am finished. That's not what he is saying. I want you to understand clearly that when Jesus said it is finished, he's not saying, it's Waterloo for me. He is not saying, I am finished. No, not at all. When I talk about the perfect tense, it expresses the ideal of action that occurred in the past, of action that occurs in the present, and of action that occurs in the future and will continually occur throughout eternity. Whatever Jesus is talking about when he says it is finished, whatever he's talking about involves the past, it involves the present, it involves the future, and will continue on in eternity. The indicative mode emphasizes the certainty of what he is doing. No doubt about it. This is something that is certain. And the passive voice tells us that which occurred was done by one to another. So when Jesus, when you look at the word grammatically, he is talking about something that he is doing for somebody else. He's talking about something that is without question, something that is without doubt, something that is absolutely certain. It is something that is done for others in the past. It is something done for those in the present. It is something being done for those in the future and will have effects on into eternity. He's talking about something that is complete. He's talking about something final. Now, you look at the word itself, to telestai. It is a word that speaks of having a goal in mind. It is a word that has the, um, as in mind an end in view of that goal being reached and that end being filled. Look at the word for a moment, tetelestai. When you look at that word, you see a similarity to some of the words that we use in everyday language. Some of the words that come from this word. For example, the word telephone or the word telegraph or the word television. And in those words, the ideal is that voice or writing, or vision is being carried to an intended destination. That's what the word television and telegraph and telephone is. Voice is being carried to an intended destination. Vision is being carried to an intended destination. Writing is being carried to an intended destination. And when you look at this word, it is talking about something that is being brought or completed or fulfilled or reaching its intended destination, a goal that has been fulfilled. Now look at the word. The verb that Jesus used here was commonly used as a legal term that spoke of the executing of a deed. The basic idea was that there is a deed or a legal document that has been drawn up, and there's a point that that deed is dated and signed. 
that there's a point the document's been drawn up, a lawyer someone has prepared the document, and now he brings it to someone, and that individual inserts a date and a signature on that legal document to say this document or whatever it involves is now reached its goal or is completed. That was the same idea the writer of Hebrews had in Hebrews 9. Verse 16, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. Now, what is he talking about? What am I talking about? Let me picture it this way, if I could describe it this way. Jesus, when he said, it is finished, not I am finished, but it is finished. What I'm doing, I'm doing for someone else. I'm doing for those in the past. I'm doing for those in the present. I'm doing for those in the future. And what I'm doing is going to have eternal ramifications. And I am doing it. It is certain. It is settled. It is complete. I'm reaching my goal. What is he doing? Here's the picture. Back in eternity past, might say that God drew up a deed of righteousness. And he drew up a deed of righteousness in the name of every sinner. Back before man ever sinned, before the foundation of the world, God drew up this deed of righteousness. And throughout eternity, that deed existed. But it could not become effective until it was dated and it was signed. Now, what did Jesus do on the cross? Jesus said, I am dating this legal document. I am signing this legal document. Therefore, no matter who you are, what you have done, I can make you righteous. Thousands of lambs had died in the promise of that deed being signed. Thousands of lambs had died, and they only covered sin. But one day on Calvary's cross, Jesus dated it, and he signed it as if to say, it is now legal and complete, and now you can be cleansed from your sins and washed away from your sins. That's what Jesus did. That's the word grammatically. But let me look at the word and approach the word pictorially. This is good. Not only do you see the word grammatically, but look at the word pictorially. And by that I mean the word was used. As I said, the Greeks boasted they could put an ocean of thought in a drop of language. And the word tetelestai was one of those words. For example, the word was used in a number of ways. For one thing, the word was a commercial word. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Sometimes... There, of course, in those days, just like today, there were taxes and tolls. Everything, everybody had to pay taxes and tolls. And sometimes there was a promissory note signed or entered into in the payment of that tax or in the payment of that toll. And what you did in that promissory note is you wrote or you really said, I will pay you this sum. But when you got ready to pay that sum, you would bring your money. You would pay your tax. You would pay your toll. And then the tax writer, tax gatherer, whoever it was, he would write out the amount that you had paid on a receipt. And then at the very bottom of that receipt, he would write the word tetelestai, which meant to say paid in full. Payment will never again be demanded. What did Jesus say when he cried, it is finished? He said, I paid it all. Nobody has to die in their sins and go to hell. Payment has been paid, and payment will never be demanded again. It was a commercial word. But not only was it a commercial word, but it was a servant's word. Whenever a servant or a slave 
They would use this word. A master would tell his servant to do something. A master would say, I want you to go here and do this. Or I want you to take care of this or take care of that. And when the service had, servant had performed his task and had obeyed his master's will, that he would come back and he would say to his master, to Telestai, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. I want you to understand something. Jesus was more than a martyr cut off in the prime of his life. He said, to this end was I born. He was sent by God to be the Savior of the world. He was sent by God to die for our sins. And on Calvary, Jesus said, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. It was a servant's word. But it was also a priestly word. The priests used this word. The Jewish people would bring their sacrifices to the priests. And before the priest could offer that sacrifice, he had to examine that sacrifice. You just couldn't bring anything you wanted to. You just couldn't go out there. If you had two lambs, you thought, I'm going to give them the worst one. I'll keep the better one. No, you just couldn't offer any kind of sacrifice you wanted to. In fact, the lambs that were used on the day of Passover, they were shut up for three and a half days. And they were examined. Their ears were examined. Their mouth was examined. Their uh, wool was examined. Their hoofs were examined. And if there was but a scratch on a little lamb, it was set aside. It makes me think of how Jesus, his public ministry, put himself before the public for three and a half years. And when it was all said and done, Pilate had to say, I find no fault in this man. But Jesus Christ, but they would bring the sacrifice and they would look at the sacrifice. Again, they would look at its ears. Are there any, uh, any bugs or anything, anything in its ears? They would look at his flip through his fur, its wool, and they'd find out if it had a scratch, a sore. They'd look at his hoofs. Are they marked? Are they scratched? And when the lamb, when he examined the lamb and he saw that the lamb was accepted for sacrifice, then he would look at the offer and he'd say, To Telestai, it is perfect. It will be acceptable. What Jesus did, I want you to understand something. Lambs had died throughout centuries of time, but to cover sin. But now Jesus Christ from the cross and says, I am the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Now men might be saved from their sin. It was a priestly word. I like that, don't you? But it was an artistic word. Say an artist was going to paint a picture. Say he was going to paint a beautiful landscape. For hours he had worked on his a landscape. He had painted the picture. And then when it was done, the artist would step back and he would look and he would examine the work on canvas. And when he looked at it, when it's finally everything that he thought it should be, then he would smile and say, to Telestai, it is completed. I think about it in the Old Testament. There are all kinds of ceremonies. There are all kinds of types. There are all kinds of shadows. There are all kinds of prophecy. But Jesus said, I want you to understand something. I am the completion of those shadows, and I am the completion of those pictures. The work is done. I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It was a merchant's word, much like the commercial use of the word in paying taxes. You were in debt. You owed a bill. Then there was demandment for payment. And whenever you could not pay that bill, then they could sometimes take your children. A lot of consequences. But if you, when you paid the bill, this is what would happen. Sometime in the night, whoever you had owed the money to would come to your home 
and would nail that contract of the debt that you owed, would nail that contract to the door, and across that contract, he would write the word to Telestine. This debt has been paid in full. I want you to understand something. I was an old sinner. I wasn't like a lot of you. I was an old hell-deserving, hell-bound sinner. I didn't have anything to offer God. I should have went to hell. He should have sent me to hell with my back broke. But blessed be God, one day he paid what I could not pay. He took my place and paid for me and died for my sins. And one day he nailed that contract to the cross and said, this debt has been paid in full. But it was a farmer's word. The end of the day, the farmer had worked the field with his oxen. And when the day was done, he would bring his team of oxen in. And then he would unyoke them. And then he would put them in the stall. And when he looked at his ox, he would say, Tetelestai, the work is now done for the day. Jesus said, it is finished. Tetelestai, I've done the work. It is now over. And then there was one more. I don't even think I put it on the screen. It was a soldier's word. The battle had been furious. The war had been long. But now someone had emerged the victor. And the conquering general, the one that was defeated, would fall down on his face and bow his head to the ground. And the conquering general would come and put his foot upon the neck of the one that was defeated and raise his sword and say to Telestai, the battle has been won. I want you to know on Calvary's cross, he not only told me that he had paid my debt, but he sent a message that reverberated through hell. I've paid the price. I've won the victory. The battle has been won. That's what Jesus was saying. He was not saying, I am finished. He was saying, it is finished. Let's stand to our feet. Aren't you glad for that? I'm you tonight. It is a word of victory. It is a word of victory. The price has been paid. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it as white as snow. 